gents, you are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. My name is Charlie Ungamak. I'm very excited to have you with us today. You'll have noticed, probably if you're a regular listener, that uh, we've kind of shifted formats again. Of course, the broadcasts will come back again soon. Um, but for the last month or so, I've been doing more of these solo podcasts where I choose something and lecture on it. Um, and there's two reasons why I have chosen to go about doing some more podcasts that way. Actually, there's three reasons. Um, the first reason is that this is all valuable information, which I think you need to know. And the more information you need that you have, the easier it's going to be for you to navigate the world that we live in as a Christian man, particularly since there are not a lot of resources for young men in particular who have an Orthodox Christian faith. There's a lot of resources available for um, like mainline evangelical Christians, for other Protestant Christians, for Catholics. There are not a lot of resources like this um, with the Lutheran worldview or even the Orthodox worldview, um, which will uh, directly address the issues of the day. And so I want to be that resource for you. I live a very privileged life um, from the perspective that I have ample time and opportunity to be looking into these things and studying these things. Um, one of the beauties of being a seminary student is that I constantly have my nose in a book. Um, and frankly, I have very, um, I have basically no income, but I also have basically no expenses. Uh, <laughs> as long as I can pay for food on the weekends and in the summertime and have gas to drive, um, I really. Like I just I'm in a very privileged position at the moment, which I recognize a lot of people are not in. And so since I have the time and resources and I'm being actively encouraged to have my nose in books and my ears in podcasts and so forth, it means that I have access to a lot of information that the average person and the average layman doesn't have just simply because I have the time and the resources and the background knowledge to be diving into these things in yeah, in a way that most people cannot. Uh, the second reason is that lecturing is a difficult skill to master, and I don't feel that I have mastered it. If you listen to the last couple episodes, I talk so fast, and I provide so much information, it is almost impossible to listen to. And so I hope that you're getting things out of these podcasts, and I won't pretend that this is all about me just trying to get better at being a, a lecturer, but I do want to develop my ability to lecture, to hold an audience in the palm of my hand, if you will, and that's something that you only get better at if you practice. And so this is my opportunity to practice that. So hopefully you're already noticing that I am speaking more slowly. I'm going to cover a lot less ground in today's podcast. I've picked a much more narrow topic. <laughs> the last one, we talked about not only um, the demographics of the church and the single people in the church, we talked about what you can do to be more attractive. We talked about how to ask a girl out or how to flirt. We talked about um, just, We talked about a lot of things in last week's podcast, it was probably too much. So I will revisit a lot of those concepts and ideas for the sake of breaking them down more clearly and um, giving them the time that they deserve. So don't worry, we'll, we'll keep circling back to these things. 
Um, but yeah, that's the second reason is I want to get better at lecturing, and this is a great opportunity to develop my skills as a lecturer in a really low-context environment. And the third reason is simply that I enjoy it. I, I like doing this. This is fun for me. I love having a reason to be diving into these topics and thinking about them. Most of them are already things that I am thinking about on my own. Many of them come from conversations that I have with people along the way at some point where I go, man, I would like to know more about that, or I hadn't thought about that before, or more people should know these things. That's generally where I'm choosing these topics and ideas from, and uh, I think that's benef- it's a beneficial thing for you guys. It's a beneficial thing for me because now I have a reason to nerd out on it. And it's a beneficial thing for me and the people I will serve in the future because I am developing skills as a lecturer that I otherwise would not have. So within the next two or three weeks, you will see us begin a new broadcast series. We're going to go through a book called Men on Fire by Stephen Mansfield. It's an excellent read. I really enjoy it. Stephen Mansfield is one of my favorite authors. Um, And so I think we'll all enjoy going through that together. So if you want to get ahead of the curve, you can buy that book called Men on Fire by Stephen Mansfield. And we're going to start that new series in about a week or two here. Once we are done with this season at the seminary, we have a little bit more time on our hands. Um, But I also plan to continue doing these episodes as well, the Man Talk Mondays so that we can keep covering ground. Uh, And so the topic I've chosen for today, oh, by the way, um, I also, (laughs) I, as easy as it is to put little fundraiser reminders at the beginning of these podcasts, I think it's more impactful and meaningful. And frankly, it feels more right to be more personal in addressing you guys about the money side of this. Um, This podcast, of course, is supported completely by your donations. And you guys have been very generous with me that we have this awesome equipment that we use. You guys helped me buy a new computer that we could do better podcasts on. We have state-of-the-art equipment across the board, and it's awesome. It's all because of you guys. Um, but there are also continual like reoccurring fees, everything from hosting the podcast online to having a website um, to even just like travel expenses when we interview people, the subscriptions in order to interview people online, all that kind of stuff. That all costs money, and uh, we do have monthly fees that we have to pay in order to keep this thing up and going. And if you want to help support the podcast, if you find value in what we're doing here at Gird Up, you can help support the podcast by clicking on the link down below in the show notes. And that will take you to the Gird Up website. On the Gird Up website, click on the tab that says buy us a cup of coffee. We call it a cup of coffee donation because for the price of a fancy cup of coffee, you can help support the work we're doing here at Gird Up and help more men all over the world receive this message. Shout out to the international guys that are listening. I know we got a bunch of dudes in Pakistan, some guys in China and across the world, um, particularly in the English-speaking world, um, several people in on the African continent as well. It's cool to have you guys here. If you're an American that has some resources and can do so, keep supporting us so that we can keep reaching these men all over the world. Okay, our topic for today is critical theory, right? It's been a hot topic in our news cycles in recent years. Um, it's been creeping into our classrooms, particularly in the public school. It's also creeping into a lot of churches, especially the very radical and more liberal churches. 
And often we hear critical race theory talked about in detail, um, but we don't really know what, maybe not in detail, that's not the right way to say it, because we really don't know, I don't think, what we're talking about when we talk about critical race theory. The highlights basically are white people bad, black people good, right? Uh, but we don't really get further into it than that. So what I want to do is talk a little bit about where these ideas come from and uh, what the Christian perspective is on these things. So first question, what is critical theory? Okay, Critical theory is built on a foundation of both relativism and social contract theory. So we'll talk about both of those things real quick. Um, relativism, the Oxford definition of the term, is the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context and are not absolute. So to put that into layman's terms, um, relativism is the belief that there is no such thing as absolute truth at all. Um, the only thing that like we call truth is actually um, like something that a particular individual or culture happened to believe. So that's where you hear people saying things like, oh, that's my truth, that's your truth, what's your truth, say your truth. Those kind of statements stem from this idea of moral relativism or relativism. So if you believe in relativism, then you think that different people can have different views about what is immoral or what is moral. So what is right or wrong? What's right for you might not be right for me. What's wrong for you might not be wrong for me. And it's okay that it is that way because all truth is relative. Okay. The other piece we need to consider is social contract theory. The Oxford Dictionary definition of social contract theory is the agreement among citizens to behave in a way that benefits everybody that forms the basis of society. So in layman's terms, Social contract theory says that people live together in society in accordance with an agreement that establishes moral and political val uh, values and rules of behavior. So they would make the claim that the reason we do the things that we do, the reason we have ideas of right and wrong, are because those ideas of right and wrong, all of our societal customs and so forth, benefit society at large, and we have all agreed implicitly to live this way because it's best for the species. So the, te the tenets of social contract theory are responsibility, sharing, and shared responsibility. Uh, morality is not absolute. As humans, we have evolved and organized ourselves into societies, and as we have done so, we've come up with agreements which preserve the species based on responsibility, sharing, and shared responsibility, okay? And the ultimate goal of every species is to survive. So by sharing responsibility, we perpetuate the species and continue to survive. So a rule, a morality such as, a moral rule such as do not murder results from a reality that because if there are fewer of us, it is easier to defeat us, right? So if there's more of them than there are of us, it will be harder for us to survive. And so you should not kill any of us because that weakens us. So the social contract would be we are not going to commit murder because we do not want to weaken our species. Okay. Uh, another one would be do not steal, right? Why do we not steal? Well, in the mind of a social contract theorist, it would be because I don't want you to steal my stuff. 
I won't steal your stuff, right? I don't like it when you take my things that I had to work for. And I know you don't like it when I take your things that you work for. And so we develop a social contract where we punish people who steal from each other because I don't like it. You don't like it. It's not good for anybody. Again, with do not lie. Why is it wrong to lie? Because commerce is important and we can't have a good economy if our in our tribe if we cannot trust each other. So it's advantageous for members of a society to be able to trust each other. And so we decide as a society to condemn and punish dishonesty because it is better for the species if we do not lie to each other, right? But a proponent of social contract theory will also point out that there are exceptions to each and every one of those rules. So, for example, we have a rule that says do not murder because if there are fewer of us, it is easier to defeat us. But those people who kill us, it is okay to kill because eliminating those who are killing others preserves the lives of those who might be killed and makes the species stronger. You could also flip that on its head. A lot of social contract theorists believe that abortion is okay because what we're doing is eliminating unwanted pregnancies, which will then create unwanted children. Those children will be unloved. Those children who are unloved are not a benefit to society. And so it's better for society to simply eliminate them before they exist, which is why abortion is okay. It's why it's a reproductive right and not murder. Right? That's the idea behind social contract theory. Again, um, another exception to the rule would be like the ones we went through earlier were do not murder, do not steal, do not lie. So um, it's it's not okay to steal from each other within our tribe or within our culture, right? But it is okay historically to steal from other tribes, right? So I take from people that are outside of my society in order to benefit my society. And we don't do that a lot, or we don't think we do that a lot as Americans, although, well, it depends on who you ask. But I, I think it's easier to see that from the Chinese side, right? We invent a lot of technology in the United States, and the Chinese will often take that technology, find a way to make it faster and cheaper, and it might not be as high of quality, but they can produce a lot more of it for cheaper and then sell it, and they boost their economy then, right? And of course, there's all the jokes about being made in China, and frankly, a lot of the times, it is lower quality goods, but they've built their economy in many ways, their international economy at least. Um, on the cheapening, like making cheaper versions of all the things that we depend on. Um, the last one then would be dishonesty, the last one we talked about. So it's not okay to lie to each other because we have to be able to trust each other, but it is okay to be dishonest as long as it's good for the tribe. So that's where it would be okay to tell your wife that she does look good in those jeans and that she does not look fat because when she's upset, the whole family <laughs> is out of disorder, is in disorder, right? So it's better to be dishonest as long as it's good for the tribe. So it's if it's good for the tribe to lie, it's okay to lie. If it's bad for the tribe to lie, then don't do it. That's why it's okay for governments to lie, right? Governments lie to their people because that's what's good for their people, at least in their minds. Right? You can argue about whether that's true or not, but critical theory would say it's okay for the government to lie as long as it's better for the people. And we see that being played out 
in politics today, right? I don't need to go into that and explain it. You can think of examples. Uh, there's been plenty of examples in the last few years of the government lying to the people. I'm talking about the last 20 years, each of the last three or four presidents, where they lied to the people for their own good, right? You don't know what's good for you. I do know what's good for you. And so in order to do what's best for you, I'm going to be dishonest. Critical theory would say that's okay. Contract theory would say that's okay. Um, relativism would say that's okay. So critical theory is built on the dual foundation of relativism and social contract theory. So there is no such thing as right and wrong. We decide what is right and wrong. And as those who decide what is right and wrong, we have developed social contracts. Okay, Social contracts are agreements among people of how we are going to behave, and social contracts are good for society. So we've created a society by developing contracts, and those contracts that we have developed were developed for the purpose of being good for society. Okay. Now, critical theory builds on that and makes the claim that all aspects of society so morality, privilege, ethics, wealth, etc., like all the things that are encompassed in society are determined by the possession of power. So they would take social contract theory and say, it's not all the members of society that create these contracts. It's actually those who hold the power. So those who hold the power in a given society are the ones who determine the morality, the privilege, the ethics, the wealth, so forth, of a society, okay? Those who hold the power are the ones that determine what is moral and immoral, what is right and wrong, what is valuable, who is valuable, who is important, and etc. So, if I believe myself, okay, according to um, critical theory, if I believe myself to be a victim of the world or society or culture or whatever I'm a victim of, if I, if I believe myself to be a victim, then the best thing that I can do for myself or that my people group can do for themselves, if I'm a member of an oppressed class, the best thing our class can do or our group can do is to claim that power for ourselves and to reshape the world and along with it, morality and culture and value, in a way that is advantageous to me or to us, right? So critical theory says the people in power are the ones who determine value, who determine, determine morality. So they decide what we value as a society. They decide what's right and wrong as a society. And the people who are sitting at the top are the ones that develop these social contracts, okay? And the only way to change society, the only way to shift and shape society in a way that better serves me if I'm a victim or better serves victimized people groups is to seize the power from those who currently have it. And once we have the power, then we will reshape the world and along with it, morality, culture, and value in a way that is advantage, advantageous to us. And then we will have the power and we will no longer be victims, right? And that's what we're seeing in classrooms across the country is this narrative that black Americans are hapless and helpless victims in American culture, um, that the customs and traditions and cultural values and norms, all the things that are encapsulated in the culture, that all these things in the United States are designed intentionally to keep black people from rising and that the only way to fix this problem 
is for black Americans to be the ones who then seize the power. And once they have the power to mold culture and shape it into a, like into a shape that is advantageous for them so that then they will hold the power. And since they have been oppressed for so long, they will understand what it feels like to be oppressed and they will reshape the world in such a way so that they hold the power. And since they have the power, then they won't be so oppressive, right? And that's how we're going to create a better world. And, and it depends on who you ask. Some people will say specifically black Americans. Some people will say just minority groups. Um, some people will say like people of color. As a, so that would kind of eliminate like the Asian population, the Jewish population. Different people say different things. But that's the basic idea, particularly with critical race theory, critical race theory in our classrooms. Uh, generally is about black Americans because of our heritage with slavery. Um, and we're seeing that, um, yeah, that idea that the only way to fix our culture is for the oppressed minority groups to seize power, claim it for themselves, and then change the world into their likeness so that they no longer are oppressed. What we're also seeing together with that then is a large number of white Americans or privileged Americans who believe that to some degree black Americans or marginalized Americans are victimized in American culture and that cultural norms are being uprooted. So they're seeing what's going on in our culture and they've come to the conclusion that this movement of black Americans or of people of color in the United States to seize the power are being successful, okay? That they are in time going to be successful at seizing power and that they, like these, so these people, like the white people then, have essentially decided to back the winner <laughs> that they anticipate. Uh, and so they anticipate there's going to be this shift in power happening and they are rushing to realign themselves with, they, with what they anticipate are going to be the new forces of power after the restructuring of culture happens. Okay, So what they see is an oppressed people group or what they perceive to be an oppressed people group who are rising up and are going to take power and control. They want to be on the right side of history when the dust settles. And so what's happening is they're already realigning themselves Okay, even though they are people of privilege, they are realigning themselves socially and politically so that when the dust settles and the power now lies with who, the people who are now minorities, that when they hold the power, they can say, hey, I was on your side the whole time. They've aligned themselves with what will be in the future, those with power. Okay, and that's what we're seeing. So that's why they're, um, they're, they're always... The perception, at least, is that there's a large number of white Americans who believe themselves to be privileged and believe in this white privilege idea and are um, like combating against it. They're, there's a whole bunch of white people that are racist against themselves. It's this bizarre phenomenon, and it all results from the idea that, one— um, pe minority people are hapless and helpless victims all the time that they have no ability to improve themselves, right? And it's because white people hold all the power, and that means white people are wicked. We see the same thing happening. It's not always race, though. Um, so we see the same thing happening often in the LGBTQ community. Um, from one angle, like it can seem really odd what people are doing because, like, Here's, a, here, here's maybe a good way to put this. You walk into any coffee shop in America, right? You're going to see about half a dozen male employees 
who are obviously male that are wearing name tags that identify them as he, him. And you're going to see just as many female employees who are walking around with name tags. And they're obviously female who are walking around with name tags that say she, her. This should be something that's obvious. We should be assuming that these people are he, hims, and she, hers, that these are their pronouns because that's what they are, right? But we have seen this cultural shift move so far in the other direction that now those who are not struggling with so-called gender identity are going like are twisting themselves into knots in order to accommodate those who are struggling with their sexual identity. Um, and the, the reason that we're doing that, the reason that they're seeing that is that they're bending over backwards in an effort to be like hyper accepting of those who are struggling with these things or who identify this way so that when the eventuality happens, that culture has been upended. So when the day comes that the queers rule the world and have all of the power, then they will be aligned with the ones who yield the power. So if they are like if they are accommodating, if they are supportive all the way along, then someday when the LGBTQ people um, are the ones who hold all of the power, and I don't say I'm just trying to use their language. So if queer is offensive, I'm sorry. I, I don't know because everything shifts and changes so often. Okay, so if that's if that's offensive, I'm sorry, I don't know, okay? The point is, this is a very small segment of society that's growing very quickly because more and more people have the perception that these people are rising in power. They want to align themselves with power, particularly future power, and they're trying to arrange the world in such a way that they will then also be associated with power once these marginalized groups have the power. Okay, and that's that's social theory is the idea. Whether it's social, uh, um, no, not social theory. That's critical theory. Whether it's critical race theory, critical sex theory, uh, there's kind of a critical theory for everything, right? So any group that's perceived to be privileged has power, and so there's a critical theory about that group then. Um, and critical theory would say if you hold the power, you have everything, right? You're privileged. If you don't have the power, then you're not privileged, and those lines are drawn black and white. There is no gray area, okay? So if you want to change the world, what you have to do is seize the power. And if you see somebody else trying to change the world and you think they're going to be successful or you're concerned that perhaps they will be successful, the best thing you can do if you're a social contract person, right, if you're a social contract theorist, is to attach yourself to the most powerful person in the movement so that when they have power, you also then will have power. Of course, all of this is predicated on the idea that there is no absolute morality because there is no God. Because if there was a God, there would be absolute morality. And if there was absolute morality, then there wouldn't be relativism. If there wasn't relativism, then we wouldn't be thinking about social contracts because social contracts um, would be would be a myth. And if social contracts were a myth, then there wouldn't be anything such thing as um, critical theory because critical theory is built on social contract theory, which is built on relativism, which is built on this idea that all truth is relative. And that means that there's no such thing as an absolute morality. Um, and the idea that there's no such thing as an absolute morality is a direct result of the death of God. Okay, That's why Orthodox Christians have 
and will always continue to remain above the fray. We know the truth. We live in the freedom of the truth. And that is what sets us apart. Because we know the truth. There is a creator who intelligently designed the universe along with all the laws of nature that govern our daily life. Whether those are the laws of nature that um, guide, guide and govern the sexes or how the stars move or how the tide moves or literally everything in the universe was intelligently designed by a creator. That creator in his created order has elevated mankind above animals and given us clearly differentiated sexes. He also, in his wisdom, has given mankind free will. When mankind abused that free will, the same God who created mankind then gave them and then gave them the will that they abused, that God first cast them out of the Garden of Eden where they would have been forced to live forever in their sinfulness, and he cast them out into the world where there were severe and persistent consequences for our weakness, for the sins that we commit. And that same God who condemns us to suffering and death for our sin loved and still loves us so much that he wrapped himself in flesh, was born as a human, lived, suffered, was tortured, and allowed himself to be even murdered on a cross while at the same time being forsaken by the God who refused to forsake us. He forsook himself instead in order that he might be our substitute so that when he, the Father, looked at you and me, he didn't see dirty, rotten sinners. But now when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his own son, the righteousness that he himself earned with an innocent life and death in our place. And it is he who holds all power and dominion. It is he who dictates natural law. It is he is, uh, he is the one who orders the universe. And he is the one that determines our value and mine. And when he determined your value and mine, he did so by paying a price for us, and the price that he paid for you and for me was with his own life. The price he was willing to pay was his own life. Okay, There certainly are issues and inequities and injustices in our society. I will not deny that. I never will because it's true. There always have been. As long as we've been sinful, there always will be until Jesus comes back. As Christians, it is our duty and our privilege to work against these inequities, to work against these injustices, to combat them. That is our job as Christians, not because we're doing it for our own sake, but because we see every single human being as a beloved child of God. They are sons and daughters of the King. They are sons and daughters beloved by the living God who walked among us. And now whether they are red, yellow, black, or white, every single one of them no matter their race, no matter their social status, their ethnicity, whatever their social value might be, or even what sins have laid claim to their identities, they are children of God. And that is how we change the world. Not by like seizing power by force and reshaping the world into our likeness, but by one by one, bringing the gospel to each one of these people who are beloved children of the king, whom he longs for, to call his own, to welcome them home. He spreads his arms open and offers them to come. And we are blessed enough to be the vessels by which that gospel message is shared. That's how you change the world. He present the gospel to each and every one of his beloved, and you trust that the Spirit is at work. That's how you change the world. That's how you change eternity 
because we know that while we were still sinners, Christ first loved us. That is how a man after God's heart behaves. That's how you ought to behave as a man of God. So go be the man that God created you to be. I love you, fellas. We'll talk to you again next week. On behalf of all those involved in producing, recording, editing, and distributing this episode, thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you'd like to contact us with comments, questions, or suggestions, you can reach out to us at any of the links in the description below or on our website. Please consider supporting the work of Gird Up Ministries by donating on Patreon, shopping at our online store, or making a $5 cup of coffee donation at www.girdupministries.com. Those donations help us make more great content just like this for young men just like you. Make sure you like, friend, follow, and subscribe to Gird Up and all of our guests on your social media platforms and consider leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the Gird Up podcast so that others can find us and be blessed by our content too. As always, thanks for listening. Now go and be the man that God created you to be. We'll see you next time.